In book two of Psalms, we're about midway through, and there's kind of a pattern there, if you have been with us thus far, um, between Psalm 54 and Psalm 60. Um, Many break this down into seven individual prayers. Um, So 58 and 59 were going to be two of those prayers. And today we're going to... I broke down Psalm 58... We'll start with 58, and then we'll work through 59. And there's a lot of back and forth as they are very much intermingled. Um, so 58 will be broken down into verses 1 through 5, 6 through 8, and then 9 through 11. 58 is a psalm. It is a prayer of deliverance. David calls for the people to be delivered Psalm 58 and 59 both begin with, to the chief musician, set to do not destroy, a victim of David. 59, you may see in your title that 59 um, references to the time uh, of David's life when he is being persecuted and is being hunted down by Saul. And Saul sends messengers and men to his house to wait for him um, that he might be killed. Um, It is unclear in 58 the the words that David uses um, in this prayer are not very specific in the time. Um, However, it it very much uh, goes hand in hand with 59. Um, So... When the organizers, they put the psalms together, as you know, they're not in chronological order. Um, However, they very much uh, marry with one another. Um, So it is believed that this is also during the same part of David's life and may have been written um, at or close to the same period of time. So to the chief musician, do not destroy. David calls out the actions of men. He says, do you indeed speak righteousness, you silent ones? Do you judge uprightly, you sons of men? Your interpretation may say uh, rulers. It may say God's little g. It may say um, rulers of men. During his persecution, it is unclear whether it is the actions of men that he is referring to or it is the inactions of men that he is referring to. Because David understands that if you are not for God, you are against God. And if you are against his ordained, his anointed, then you are also against the Lord. Know in your heart your wickedness. You weigh out in violence your hands on the earth. David says that they go astray. He's referring back to Um, The fall of man. They go astray from the womb. They choose their sinful nature as opposed to the law that God established. In verse 5, he says, Their poison is like poison of a serpent, that they are deaf. The deaf cobra that stops its ear which will not heed the voice of charmers, charming ever so skillfully. These rulers, they ignore the dominion of God over them, and they ignore God's law. 
Jesus referred to very similar people as a brood of vipers. In Matthew 12, 34, brood of vipers, how can you being evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth also speaks. So David understands that the overflowing of the heart comes out of the mouth. Back in Psalm 2, 1 through 4, Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain things? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. David's prayer is very general in 58. He is praying for the people. He understands, as we've talked before, about the correlation between the ruler of Israel and the Israeli people. He understands that they go hand in hand. In 6 through 8, you will see that David prays for the wicked to be ineffective and that their efforts would result in their own demise. He uses this picture of um, the teeth being broken from the mouth of the young lions. The mouth and the lips are an iconic uh, picture um, of the main weapon of those that pursue wickedness. They use their mouth. And it's from their mouth that swords are used for death and destruction. He prays that they would flow away as waters which continually run. And that those who bend their bow, let his arrows be if cut into pieces. Let them be like snails which melt away as it goes. That's a great picture for me because I I need to be able to um, see things in my mind to understand them sometimes. And you can see a snail crawling along as it goes, as it's drying up and it's withering and it's leaving its slimy little trail behind him. The more he goes, the more it appeals, appears that he melts away. Verses 9 through 11, David describes swift vengeance. Verse 9, before your pots can fill the burning thorns, he shall take them away as a whirlwind, as in his living and burning wrath. David says, when vengeance comes, it is going to be swift. It will be so fast that the pot that is set atop a fire would not even have time to feel the effects of the flame. I don't know about you, but I've been burned many times, and that's pretty darn quick, right? Absolutely. The righteous shall rejoice when he sees the vengeance. He shall wash his feet in the blood of the wicked. This is a great picture of victory. Um, On the battlefield, only the victor would be standing. And as they walk through the battlefield... Their feet would be covered in blood as they walk through those that were slain. This is a very vivid um, picture. And this is not the first time that this imagery is used. Deuteronomy 32, 35 
Vengeance is mine and recompense. Their foot shall slip in due time, for the day of their calamity is at hand, and the things to come hasten upon them. For the Lord will judge his people and have compassion on his servants. When he sees that their power is gone and there is no one remaining, bond or free. Who is this? And Isaiah comes from Edom with dyed garments of, from Bozrah. This one who is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength. I who speak in righteousness, mighty to save. Why is your apparel red and your garments like one who treads in the winepress? I have trodden the winepress alone, and from the peoples no one was with me. For I have trodden them in my anger, I have trampled them in my fury. Their blood is sprinkled upon my garments, and I have stained all my robes. For the day of vengeance is mine, is in my heart, and the year of my redeemed has come. I look, but there is no one to help, and I wonder that there is no one to uphold. Therefore, my own arm brought salvation for me. My own fury, it sustained me. I have trodden down the peoples in my anger, made them drunk in my fury, and brought them down their strength to the earth. This is Jesus. The blood stain is of those wicked that were judged. Again, David depicts the righteous rejoicing over the victory of the wicked. Sure, David asked that the victorious, that the righteous being avenged would be a reminder to those that are righteous. And that they would see that God still judges on the earth. Verse 11, he wants them to know that God is not a distant. He is not at a distance to where he doesn't interfere or he doesn't know or he doesn't care. He is very much with us. He is very much involved. He is very much in love with his creation and its well-being. He wants to remind the men that through our history, God has been there. He has provided. You, Israel, you are the one that asked for a king. You are the one that fell time and time again. It was not God that recanted and decided to come up with a new plan. God's plan has ever been. He is not the one that failed in his commitments. It is you, Israel. So he prays that the men would be reminded of these things and that they would see these things and that would be a part of the testament to them to bring them hope. Now in Psalm 59, again, three different sections will break it down. And this prayer in Psalm 59 is more personal. The details inside are attributed to the same time period, but to him personally. 
not for the people, but for himself. So verses 1 through 5, again, a prayer of deliverance. 6 through 13, David describes his persecutors. And then 14 through 17, there's a repeat here of 6 through 13. Oh my God, defend me from those who rise up against me. Deliver me from my enemies. Deliver me from the workers of iniquity and save me from bloodthirsty men. For look, they lie in wait for my life. The mighty gather against me, not for my transgression nor for my sin. O Lord, they run and they prepare themselves through no fault of mine. Awake to help me and behold. You therefore, O Lord, God of hosts, the God of Israel, awake to punish all the nations. Do not be merciful to any wicked transgressors. So David is speaking specifically about himself. And he says, God, deliver me from these evildoers. They are stalking me. They are trying to kill me. Now, David, being versed in combat, he sees and understands the way of a, of a warrior or the way of a soldier, per se. To be stalked as prey, the wicked prowling through the cities, hiding in the shadows, again, using their mouth as weapons to spread. He says, Arise, God. David wants God to execute judgment and punishment. He says, I want you to step up into that seat of judgment and fulfill your righteousness. I am ready for that to begin. Now, again, like David, uh, excuse me, Dale, not David, mentioned the other day, David didn't have a Bible. But they did have scrolls and he did have um, words passed down from Moses that God gave him. And he also had the Holy Spirit with him that was giving him knowledge, that was growing him, sanctifying him. He proclaims his innocent. And ask for God to begin his judgment. Revelations 19.11 Now I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written no one knew except himself. He was clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress 
of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe, on his thigh, name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. David says, hey, I'm ready. I'm ready for this judgment. I'm ready for this persecution to end. But David is also in the understanding that he has to wait on God's time. He has to be patient. He seeks his strength through God, through the hope that he has through his word, and through his experiences, his testimony, what he knows to be true about God, the way that God has fulfilled his promise to him thus far, the way he has kept him safe, the way he has been his defense, the way he has been his high tower. Six through thirteen, he describes these wicked as dogs. At evening they return, they growl like a dog, and they go all around the city. Indeed, they belch with their mouths. Swords are in their lips, for they say, Who hears? But you, O Lord, shall laugh at them. You shall have the nations in derision. I will wait for you. O you strength, for my God is my defense. My God of mercy shall come to meet me. God shall let me see my desire of my enemies. Do not slay them, lest the people forget. Scatter them. Scatter them by your power and bring them down, O Lord, our shield. For the sin of their mouth and the words of their lips, let them even be taken in their pride. And for the cursing and lying which they speak, consume them in wrath. Consume them that they may not be. And let them know that God rules in Jacob to the ends of the earth. Selah. David describes them as dogs on the prowl, animals on the hunt. With their mouth is their primary weapon, right? So they're spreading about um, this campaign that David would be killed. They wait for him at his house. David calls for God's wrath, but he says that I will wait for you. He calls for justice, and he asks that this would end. And he asks that God would allow this to be witnessed upon men, that they would remember who they are and that they should serve the God of the people. Verses 14 through 17. 14 and 15 are a recant of verses 6 and 7. At the evening they return, they growl like a dog, and they go all around the city. They wander up and down for food. 16 and 17 is a reiteration of verses 9 and 10. But I will sing of your power. I will sing aloud for your mercy in the morning. You have been my defense and refuge in the day of my trouble. To you, O my strength, I will sing praises, for God is my defense, my God of mercy. 
David commits to singing praises because God is his defense. He is his refuge. And he attests that no matter how bad things are, no matter his feelings up to this point, if you've been keeping up with this, the, the um, psalms and the prayers that David um, has written, they definitely display um, his feelings, right? So, um, feelings are hard. <laughs> yeah, nobody wanted to say amen on that one, right? So, feelings are hard. And David is a great example. I, I, we are so blessed that he wrote these things down in the way that he did and that the Holy Spirit gave him the words that he did because it very much gives you that imagery and you can see the anguish that he's going through. You can see the stress. You can see the anxiety, right? You can see these things in him. And he says, hey, here it is. I've gone through these things. These are the feelings I had about what is going on. Okay? But I also have this. I have God's word. I have God's promise. And in that I have hope. Because I know it to be true. Psalms 58 and 59, a prayer for the people and a prayer for himself. David still wants the people to have hope. And he commits himself to singing praise to God for being his refuge and his defense. Right? David sees that God has a plan. He already had a plan. The plan was already in the works. Okay? Let's... Let's go into detail a little bit more about what it is David's going through. And let's expose a little bit of that plan that was already in the works. David was anointed by God in his his youth, right? So in his youth, during this time period, Saul was being disobedient. And the the Spirit of the Lord was with Saul. But in his disobedience, it was withdrew from him. And the Lord gave Saul an evil spirit to torment him. God tells Samuel, there is another that I'm raising. I know that I will be anointing a successor for Paul. So David is anointed in his youth. Saul falls from God's favor. Now this evil spirit that is tormenting Saul. He has given counsel. Saul, if you will find someone who plays the harp and plays it well, that will give you some relief from this evil spirit. So he says, find me somebody. Find someone. Well, you know, there's this kid that belongs to Jesse, and he plays extremely well. Saul says, bring him. Bring him here. So David is brought forth to Saul. Saul inserts him into his court to play the harp, to ease him. And when David plays, it brings him relief. And the evil spirit leaves Saul for a time. 
So he was a part of his court. And then they go to battle the Philistines. And Goliath presents this challenge. And the men are overcome with fear. And David, trusting in the Lord, being guided by the Holy Spirit, says, I'll fight him. Who is he to stand against the army of God? He is no one. He is nothing but a created man who is subject to God and his will and his wrath. So David slays Goliath. And Saul begins to become fearful of him. It is obvious to Saul and to others that the Lord, the Lord's Spirit is with David. And that brings great fear to Saul because he remembered what it was like to have the Spirit with him. Now, lots of kingdoms have come and gone. And a lot of times, you will see through the history books, there's a sense of paranoia that runs with being the king. Am I right? Okay, amen? All right. Especially if you think someone is going to kill you to try to take your throne. There were a few different ways that a successor uh, gained his power, and one of which was killing the king, cutting the head off the snake. Okay? Saul became extremely paranoid and extremely fearful not only because um, of being the king. He was the first king of Israel, right? It's a new thing. He's going to be bad at it before he's good at it. So they're trying to establish this kingdom under this new king, and he's already been disobedient, and he's already lost the one helper that he had, right? So he fell out of favor. David is on the rise. Saul comes up with this plan, this secret plan. And he says, you know what? I think I'll pretend to be his friend. I think I'll say, I'll let you marry my daughter since you're in God's favor. And maybe that'll keep my enemy closer, right? So I can see what he's doing and what's going on. And David says, no, I'm good, thanks. Well, that plan didn't work. Um, So, again, it's obvious The Lord is with David. So he tries again. Saul finds out that his daughter, Michal, I had to look that one up. It looks like Michael, but it's got a little phlegm in there. Michal um, falls in love with David. Saul says, hmm, maybe this plan will work after all. So he sends word to David and says, tell you what, I will give you my daughter in marriage. But there is a cost. And I require a hundred skins from the Philistines. So Saul's plan is to send him back into battle, not against one man, but against an entire army. Thinking he's going to fall by the sword and then he'll be rid of his problem. Saul greatly underestimated the spirit that was with him. So David agrees 
Not only does he agree, but he goes into battle to the Philistine and brings back twice as many skins as, the, as Saul requested. So Saul gives his daughter uh, into marriage to David, and he continues this secret plan. And each time he sends him against the Philistines into battle, he comes back victorious. Not only does he come back victorious, but each time David interacts with the people David interacts with the army. He starts to become beloved. They love David. He is a leader. He's not a manager. He is a leader. He is on the battlefield with the soldiers. They are willing to die at his leadership for him. They are following him. They know the Lord is with him. And they love him. And this makes things incredible. Increasingly difficult for Saul. His fear grows. He abandons his secret plan, his campaign, and he begins a public one. He, sends, he sits down Michal and his son Jonathan and he says, David needs to die. He's going to die. He's a traitor. He, is, he needs to die. So, these things start to develop. And as you can see, as you read through 1 Samuel 16 through 24, um, it is a very dramatic, it is, very, it is a roller coaster. If you guys like drama stories, read it, I'm telling you. Um, but Saul recants after they express their love for him. After they say, well, look at all the things that he has done, but he's only done with the Lord's hand. Why would you want to kill him? So he recants, and then later he sends messengers to David's house to kill him. Michal, she learned of Saul's plan, and she helped David escape through a window, which places David innocent, and on the run. He was innocent of sin against the king and violation of law. So as we can see through these details, the skill that David had playing the harp prior to Saul needing a harp player, right? Those details were already in the works. It takes a long time to learn how to play an instrument, especially well. Those things were already in the works. And the more that Saul went against God's will and against his anointed, the closer he was to his own demise. Ephesians 1.11 In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Again in Romans 8. For I consider that suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God 
And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. Romans 15. We then who are strong ought to bear with scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification. For even Christ did not please himself, but it is written, The reproaches of those who reproach you fell on me. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded towards one another, according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. As verse 4 said, the things written before for our learning that these scriptures may give us hope. I pray today that these prayers would remind us of the hope that we have in Christ. That the plan is already in the works. It was in the works from the beginning. John 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And if all things were created through Jesus, and He was there at the day of creation, the Son of God was not a reaction to the fall of man. He was there in the beginning. The plan of restoration was already there. And that should bring us great hope. And that should commit us to singing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you. We thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the testimony of those believers that have gone before us. We thank you for the testimony of God-fearing men that you had predestined that you anointed, that you ordained. God, we thank you for um, your son. That your son was not a reaction to man's failure. That your son was a part of your plan, of your creation. That he is a part of your restoration to mankind. And that he is our salvation. God, we thank you for Christ his blood on the cross, and for calling us back to your kingdom and to your family. God, in Jesus' name, amen.